Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us tonight. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mears. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it's great to be with you. Great to be with you, as always. Monday, April 25, the year is 2022. That's the 346 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Ken Flo doing some intensive gun training in the greater South Carolina area yesterday. But back at home today, kid, huh? Quick turn. I am. I am back. Great to be doing the show, kid. Well, it's good to see you. I went to my first auction on Saturday night, so I had to play catch up when it came to some of the uh, mixed martial arts ingestion. But uh, my wife teaches math at this private school, and so I'm like the poorest guy in the building. And, (laughs) you know, the Miami Dolphins suite goes for $47,500. So most of the live auction items, like I knew I wasn't really going to be able to compete for. Um, you know, but there was one item I thought they were talking like forty five hundred, and it's like they're like, no, dude, it's like forty five thousand. So, Damn. Uh, paddle one hundred eight stayed on the table all night. <laughs> but I was so excited to see my name on a paddle, and that it ended up being sort of anticlimactic. Uh, but it's good to see you. Uh, you had a little PFL broadcast on four twenty. We're going to get into that. We're obviously going to yes. talk about Jessica Andrade. Um, we will talk to Sean Sheehan from severe MMA and SureDog.com. MMA journalist. I hope he's okay with me calling him a journalist, but scoring expert and just a good voice in the MMA space. We're going to talk to him uh, coming up in about 20 minutes. Picks with Brian Petrie for UFC fight night font versus Vera. We've got a huge Bantamweight headliner coming up Saturday night at the UFC apex. And uh, if Ray Longo answers the call at 1120 AM Eastern time, he will be on to close the show today by, but I am not ambitious that he is going to be uh awake at that time. All right. I want to talk about Clay Collett for a minute, if I could. Wins over Jeremy Stevens in the uh, 
the PFL. I mess with the PFL so much, calling it like the Pioneer Fighters. Like that now, I'm forgetting. Is it the Professional Fighters League? Yes. What is it? Okay. Yes, Professional All right. Fighters League. All right, PFL baby, Clay Collard. So my research suggests his first 18 pro fights were in Utah. Highest profile fights, I guess he was one and one in the series with Justin Buckles. Then he goes yep. one and three in the UFC. We had to have called some of these fights in 2014 and 2015. Fought Max Holloway in his UFC debut in 2014 in like a last minute situation. Yes. Uh, and this dude's legit, man. You know, a lot of people thought he beat Haush Manfio, obviously, last season, right? And yep. that would have changed the entire narrative, but he fights Jeremy Stevens guys game as hell. Um, and I think of all the guys in the PFL right now, for me, when I see Clay Collin on the card, not just cause I like saying his name, you yeah. know, I'm following this guy. Like as an MMA fan, I'm following what Clay Collard is doing right now. So he's an absolute savage dude. Uh, you know, a, a really kind of happy go lucky guy, really funny outside the cage, uh, just loves to scrap. And he's this, you know, lanky looking dude, you know, and you wouldn't expect anything from him. Um, you know, came from like a skateboarding background, but he like wrestled and boxed his whole life. And he's must see TV, man. This dude, uh, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Even if you're Jeremy Stevens and you can put someone out with one shot, he'll get right in there and throw down with you as well. Um, I'm seeing improvements already from last season to this season. And and I agree with you. I, I actually thought he probably won that fight against Haush Manfio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right now he's poised to kind of, uh, he's poised as a favorite right now, in my opinion, uh, looking really sharp, had an absolute war with Jeremy Stevens. Oh. Crazy fight. And that was your season opener last Wednesday, a little 420 show. Any yes. marijuana smoke in the building? Any cannabis smoke in the uh, building on 420 or no? You know, I didn't I didn't smell any. Okay. Uh, right. You know, I'm sure there were some pens being passed around. Though. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Those vape pens. Yeah. Uh, I saw Shoeface with a Bravo choke in 29 seconds. Yes. Not a very difficult uh, night at the office for the newly minted millionaire, huh? Well, he got rocked early and then literally just kind of bounced right back. Uh, pretty much knocked out his opponent, um, you know, with a shot. Uh, and could have won by TKO, but instead, you know, just went right to his default mode, went right to a Bravo choke, uh, and took him out with the quickness. So he's looking really sharp, man. Again, his confidence level and how he's putting it all together. Um, he's looking great this season yet again. Just so happy for him, right? To to Such realize nice the uh, the million and to to win fights, because yeah, nice guy and, and super talented, and and maybe underachieved a little bit in the UFC. Uh Haush Manfio obviously keeping the judges out of it this time around. Knocked out Don Madge. I guess he was losing the fight, but rallied for the finish. Is that uh, is that accurate? Exactly, dude. Crazy comeback. He was getting outpointed and, and really. Um, you know, out-techniqued by Don Madge, who was looking so sharp. And I was literally talking about how Don Madge was nullifying Manfio uh, defensively. He was looking great. And the one time he backs up against the fence, he had nowhere to go. Uh, Manfio knew he needed something big to win that fight, lands a right hand, drops him, follows up a couple punches, and uh, and wins the fight in the third round, which is exactly what he needed to win. It was, it was pretty wild. I know a lot of the MMA handicappers were on the Madge side. Yep. Rip up those tickets, folks, if you have not so done close. so already. Uh, and I also noticed Rob Wilkinson. Yeah. So he was cut from the UFC rather unceremoniously after fighting Israel Adesanya in what was Adesanya's UFC debut. He attempted like 35 takedowns. Got him down, I think, once or twice. Yeah. Um, but Wilkinson had a hard time finding MMA fights, so was doing some boxing. Now he's won three straight and might eventually work his way back to the UFC. For now, it's the PFL, and he's looking pretty good, huh? Dude, he's looking great, actually. First of all, looks absolutely jacked. I have no idea how he made 185 pounds. 
Um, and, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that know they need to work on certain things and, and they'll kind of do it in training. This guy was out there doing professional boxing fights, professional kickboxing fights. And guess what has helped Israel Adesanya for a few fights to get ready and oh, really? for him, of course, to learn. So when you fight someone like Israel Adesanya, when you train with someone like Israel Adesanya, you're going to get better. He's a true martial artist, has made huge improvements in his game. He's good everywhere. Uh, and he's another guy. He's kind of my dark horse uh, to win the division right now as well. How about that? All right. Good stuff. PFL one in the can and uh, nice to have Ken Flo on the sticks as always. All right. UFC did have a live event on ESPN plus and in the main event, it was Jessica Andrade. Put her in the fucking Hall of Fame. All right. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't go down that path today, but it's like, what else does a woman need to do? And I thought she won the Rose Nama Yunus rematch in what was an absolute war. Um, but that's neither here nor there. It was Andrade over Amanda Lemos. Lemos would kick my fucking ass. I mean, do you know what she would do to me? You know, I might have 40 pounds on her. She would fucking destroy me. I could train for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and do nothing but train and eat right. And Amanda Lemos in any martial art would fucking destroy me, including jujitsu, which does not appear to be her strong suit, Ken Flo. Um, but Andrade with the standing arm triangle choke, the first of its kind in the UFC. Remarkable submission win for uh, for the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Jessica Andrade, your thoughts on the UFC main event? Listen, you don't need me to tell uh, tell you that she's an absolute savage. Andrade. Uh, still has that hunger, still has that fire in her to go out there and deliver, uh, you know, not only wins, but exciting performances. She loves to get get after it, move forward, pressure the fighter, and look for a, a way to win. And she can do it now in a variety of ways. We all knew about her takedown ability. We all knew about her power. But now she's getting some submissions under her belt. And she she was in the perfect position to finish that arm triangle from the standing position uh, a very rare submission that, that you'll see in mixed martial arts. I think it was the first one that we've seen uh, as a finish in the UFC. Uh, and she looked phenomenal. And again, she did it against Amanda Lemos, who I'm a big fan of. She's a tremendous striker. Um, she's very fluid. She was looking pretty sharp. Um, but again, one mistake at the highest level, and that's going to be the difference, when, especially when you're going against someone like Andrade, who's been there and done that. Um, but uh, she continues to impress, man. What what a fight. What a finish. So you got podcast producers like Cody Merrow that are not trying to discredit Andrade, but they really question Lemos tapping to this particular choke. Uh, so I don't know if it's fair of me to put it this way, but why have we not seen this executed in the UFC before? I mean, we remember Toby Imada, that inverted reverse right. triangle choke over Jorge Masvidal, but why is this choke so rare and why haven't we seen it in the UFC? Yeah, listen, you know, it, it's a it's a move you don't see too often because, you know, I think a lot of people are hesitant in getting there. A lot of times they'll use the floor to pin their opponents, right? If I'm on top and I'm working an arm triangle, I can use the floor in my way to sandwich my opponent where they have no escape, right? Um, in this case, it worked because they had the fence. It's the exact same position, right? Just the fence is replacing the floor. Right. So there was no immediate escape for Lemos. Is it a legit submission? Absolutely. Um, and someone was asking on Twitter, sorry, I forget your handle. They're asking, you know, is that technique? Is that power? Um, no amount of power is going to get you a submission choke uh, if you're not right on the carotid artery. You have to be in the right spot. That arm needs to be across your body. 
Um, and, you know, lucky for uh, Andrade, Lemos, I think, was maybe throwing a punch and kind of her arm came across her body. And Andrade happened to clinch. Her arms fell in that right exact position. She knew exactly what she needed to do. She pinned the arm across with her body and with her head. Um, so Lemos could not bring that elbow back to get either get an underhook or to bring it back to where she was safe. Um, so in my opinion, it was excellent technique. It was um, killer instinct taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, and again, when you're biting down on that on that carotid, you have the arm on the other side. That is technique, in my opinion. Does power help? Yeah, it can help, no question. Yeah. But that was just beautiful technique and beautiful killer instinct uh, from Andrade. Uh, and, um, yeah, just awesome, awesome to see it. And for Lemos, she almost went out. I think that's why she dropped, you know, like yeah. she was, she was about to go out. She was in that thing for, for quite a long time. Jessica Andrade, one of the most accomplished women in UFC history. So instinctive too. I mean, when you think about her winning a world title with a slam against Rose Namajunas, who was trying to sort of defend with that Kimura, and there are big fights in three divisions for Andrade. You know, it seems like her dream scenario is to fight the winner of the rematch between Zhang Weili and Yuan Yong Jacek because she has head-to-head losses mm. against both of those women. But there are big fights in three divisions for her right now. Right when she went to flyweight, you know, she was perfect except for the Shevchenko fight. Obviously started her UFC career at Bantamweight. Absolutely yeah. exceptional. And, uh, you know, her bank account's got to look pretty good at this point in time, I would think, at this stage of her career. So she, She's got to be killing it at this point, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lemos just kicks like a mule and hits so hard. I mean, I do feel like she's a future strawweight problem. Um, despite this result, uh, man, you know, Andrade got to be careful, man. She's, I felt like she was going to get knocked out if she didn't, uh, pull the, the rabbit out of the hat there a little bit. I don't know. She's really good. Listen, I think Lemos matches up really well against someone like a Ros, uh, Rose Namajunas, you know, just based on her build and how she strikes. Uh, I think she's a tremendous striker. Ne- needs to get her grappling in order, obviously, but um, you know, a ton of potential. I think she'll be back. All right. Co-main event, you might have heard from Claudio Puyes on the Anakin Florian podcast last week. Um he submits Clay Guida with an e-bar three minutes and one second into the opening round. Called for the finish. Um, nobody has three knee bars in the UFC except for our man, Crazy. the Prince of Peru. Uh, look at Kemflo smiling for his fellow Peruvian. You know, <laughs> people in the YouTube comments trying to suggest that Kemflo doesn't have Peruvian blood. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, what'd you think of Puyas over Guida uh, in the co-main event? The Niba. The Niba. Niba number three. Niba, kid. The Niba. Um, dude, just beautiful stuff. You know, what's so interesting, uh, it was the fact that he said, listen, this, the only time I really hit knee bars is in fights, you know? And to me, what it indicates is he's a guy who's in that flow state. Who's not trying to force to do something. What you want in a fight or when you're defending yourself or whatever is you want your body to almost take over. You want that instinct, uh, in your body to be way faster than the thinking mind. And to me, Puyas is in that flow state. He's totally relaxed. He's composed. It didn't matter what situation he was in. It seemed like he was always a step or two ahead of Clay Guida, who's been around the game for so long, who seems like, you know, both mentally, physically, and technically, he's at one of the best points of his career, actually. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I know he's had some wear and tear, but, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he said he was feeling great. And he looked good up until that point. To me, it just looked like Puyas was better. Um, so a, a really impressive win for Claudio Puyas, um, who came into this fight like it was just a matter of fact that he was going to go out I there know, and not only man. win. And, but he was going to finish him. He's like, yeah, after I go out there and finish Clay, we'll see what's – like 
he's looking uh, like a world beater right now. So, yeah, I yeah. was uh, I was really impressed. And um, this kid's the real deal, man. The Prince of Peru. Watch out. He is the real deal. And I think from a matchmaking standpoint, they're going to have an easier time booking him fights now that he's unranked. If he's in the rankings, right. I think it's going to be harder. You know, um, who wants to mess around with the jujitsu guy? Even Hamzat Shimaev, I think, said recently that, you know, their fight wasn't on the floor a whole lot. But when it was, you know, Gilbert trying to snatch an arm, he didn't like that very much, you know. Yeah. Um, and especially guys, you know, with the knee bars. I don't know. Like to me, I don't want anybody near my knee. I, I, I feel like, <laughs> I'm, you know, you can lose a fight and lose 18 months of your career. It's like Husamar Pujadis, you know, ripping your leg off. Exactly, dude. I mean, it has that that fear instinct, you know, or that fear, um, you know, uh, create fear factor. I should say that's more accurate. Um, you know, similar to a knockout shot. You know, do do you not want to tap, or do you want to, you know, be out of the side on the sidelines yeah. for eighteen months, as you said? Right. So, right. yeah, it, it was a brutal knee bar that had nothing to do with you know Clay not being tough. That was locked out about as beautiful yeah. as you can get it. Just beautiful technique there from Puyas. There were a lot of big winners on the UFC show. I want to get to some other headlines. Macy Barber clean 30 to 27 times three over Montana De La Rosa. Uh, Charles Air Jordan over Lando Venata with a guillotine. Mark Andre cool Barrio, the power bar. Yeah, Jordan's an interesting guy at featherweight. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, especially on the heels of this result. I know he had Lando pretty impressed. Impressed, I should say. Nice to see Tyson Pedro back. Um, what a weird start to the night with Mike Jackson and Dean Barry, the DQ with the eye gouge. We'll get to that with Sean Sheehan. Uh, a couple other things I want to ask you about. Dan Hardy uh, is going to get back in a combat sports setting here against Diego Sanchez. It looks like it's going to be a boxing match. Cody, you can correct me uh, if I am mistaken. Um, but it's been a long time, obviously, since Hardy has competed. And uh, obviously, Diego, legendary status. I don't have to tell you. You fought mm-hmm. him in your UFC debut. Um, I guess I was sort of thinking that Dan Hardy would fight somebody that was maybe closer to their fighting prime. Uh, and I don't know if this sort of uh, matches his expectation. Um, but I, I would think when you was started here, Dan Hardy against like Tyron Woodley, you know, a former world champ. You know, I don't know. I, I thought this was a little bit surprising that this was the the fight. I don't know if you have anything on that. Yeah, listen, th- this is not a great fight for Diego. I, I know, obviously, Dan Hardy's been been away for a long, long time. Uh, but, you know, this is his specialty, right? I mean, this is where he really shines as, as a mixed martial artist is on the feet. Um, he is going to be taller, rangier, uh, bigger than Diego Sanchez. Diego Sanchez, the best part of his game is on the ground, right? He, he's a tremendous scrambler. He's very good at both escaping and attacking submissions and uh, utilizing utilizing his positioning uh, to u- utilize his ground and pound. Um, this is not the fight that I expected. Um, Diego uh, is a, a guy that I really admire a lot just based on his heart that he showed over the years, right? He is yeah. a, a true warrior in, in every aspect. Um, and he's been in some really tough fights. He's been at this a very long time. I'm concerned uh, with the fact that he's taking a, a strictly striking battle against a right. guy uh, who who has way more experience in that arena. So I think this is most likely a fight for Dan Hardy to warm up to maybe do something else, whether it's a, a mixed martial arts fight after or some right. kind of warm up, maybe for a, someone like a Tyron Woodley or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, good fight for Dan. Um, not not a great uh, thing for Diego. I, I hope Diego stays safe out there. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm interested to see how it goes. You know, um, yeah. 
Yeah, we both love Diego Sanchez. Again, I know his fight with Clay Guida is in the Hall of Fame, but I have said for a long time, based upon his own career merits and his contribution to the sport, I would like to see Diego Sanchez individually recognized. But yeah, I also think from a Dan Hardy perspective, you know, and I love Dan, great analyst uh, and a dear friend of mine, former broadcast partner. But I I don't know, like, do you want to be like a modest 1,000 favor? I thought he wanted, you know, like when when you've gone back and competed in these Legends Jiu-Jitsu tournaments, like you want to be the fucking underdog, you know? Um, So this is an eight-round boxing exhibition on July 2nd. And I would think if they're taken at, well, it's it's an exhibition. So I would tell you don't bet on exhibitions because you never Mm. know. Um, right. But if it was actually going to be sanctioned or see, I know it'll be sanctioned, but if it was actually going to be a professional bout, I would say bet on it. But like when Floyd Mayweather was fighting Logan Paul, like I'll bet on Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to bet on something that they classify as an exhibition like Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul and this year with Diego Sanchez and uh, and Dan Hardy. Um, all right. Some rumblings about a possible fight between John Jones and Stipe Miacic. And I find this to be absolutely fascinating. You know, Stipe has been competing like once a year. Jones has been out forever. He's been teasing this UFC heavyweight debut. Um, Francis Ngannou was spending time with Tyson Fury this weekend. I guess that isn't even part of this discussion as Ngannou remains on the mend. Um, but what do you think about Jones and Stipe and how would you handicap a matchup between those two if we can make it happen maybe as early as July 2nd? Gee, I love the fight. This is the fight that I would love to see. I think it's the fight to make. Um, and, and Cody, I'd love to see if you can find out when the last time John Jones has fought or maybe John, you know that. But uh, right. um, yeah, it, but it's been a while. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see how John Jones comes back and how he looks at heavyweight. I know he's been trying to put on weight for a long time now in anticipation of his UFC heavyweight debut, Um, but I still think he's going to be a very dangerous guy. And I think John Jones is the kind of guy that um, loves to be doubted, loves a challenge. I think that we didn't see the best John Jones at 205 pounds in his last few fights, particularly because I don't think he felt the threat factor. I I think he knew that he could coast through a fight and not have to be concerned with the guy across from him. Uh, You know, maybe that's a a, a soft take or a bad take, but I truly believe that to be true. I think John Jones is motivated and loves when he hates his opponent, when he feels that, you know, he's going to get knocked out or when he's threatened by something in that person's game. I think that's when we see the best John Jones. And I think because of that, we have the potential to see the best John Jones here against Estipe Miacic, who has been one of the best heavyweights, perhaps the best heavyweight we've ever had. So um, I, uh, I I love this fight. I think Stipe is going to be motivated by it. You look at John Jones and what he's accomplished. Uh, many people consider him the GOAT, uh, but it has been a while. And um, yeah, I, I guess uh, Cody is saying he fought twice in 2019. So that's the last time we've seen John. And uh, it was I'm the Dominic to... Reyes fight early yep. 2020. UFC 247. Oh. So it go. will have been two and a half years since we saw John Jones compete. Okay, and uh, and I, I think read. it's interesting. You know, it's it's really interesting. The potential uh, comeback of John Jones and obviously Henry Cejudo, uh, who had a meeting with one of our chief executives, Hunter Campbell and Sean Shelby over the weekend. Seems like it's going to be Bantamweight for Henry. Uh, and not featherweight, which seems That's to cool. be his dream to become C4 and fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Could be a case of be careful what you wish for, but Cejudo mm. um, 
thinks he's uh, primed for that challenge. All right. Well, we have our guest with us, so let us move on now to the guest line. He is the host of Severe MMA's podcast, also the Sheehan Show at SureDog.com. On Twitter, you can find him at Sean Sheehan. B.A., the pleasure is ours, my friend. It is great to see your face. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm not too bad. Thanks very much for having me on. It's uh, I know we've been talking for a while, and it's it's, it's good to get on, obviously, uh, talk a bit of judging, which I seem to be uh, always talking about these days, but you're right at. Judging well. and scoring. So is your first name pronounced Sean? I know you got that nice little fancy accent over the A, so I want to make sure I'm getting it right. Yeah, that's it. When, when you have, it's the fada in Irish, so you, the aw sound. That's when you see a fada, it's always that. So like, uh, like Sinead, if you ever see that when there's oh, okay. a fada over yeah. It elongates the letter. So, yeah, Sean. Got it. All right. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours and your work, and we very much appreciate your time. Um, for those in our audience that may not know who you are, where you come from, um, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and, I guess, ultimately how you got so passionate slash aligned with MMA scoring, judging, and all of that noise? Yeah. So, basically, I kind of I started covering the sport around a decade ago, I suppose. I, I had never planned to cover anything. I was just I was just kind of a fan of the sport. My background is in uh, economics and maths, and now I'm covering the sport full time. So it's it's kind of gone from there, I suppose. But um, yeah, so I kind of fell into it, really. I, I, everyone probably wow. knows uh, Crookland, Steffi Haynes. I used to like yeah. listen to her show all the time. And anyway, I got into it from there. I started doing a bit of a blog and in Severe which is the, the biggest website in Europe and Ireland asked me to write and I came from there. Um, the judging part then, I suppose, it all came from a, a Paddy Pimblett fight uh, back in, it was in 2016, I think it was. He fought Julian Arosa. They're both in the UFC now. And it was a very controversial fight. Um, Julian Arosa ended up losing the decision and most people thought Arosa won it. So I put out a tweet just saying that, literally the, the result of the fight. And I think I remember counting at the time, 104 people replied and every single person said that was a robbery. Like everyone disagreed. And I said, you know, everyone said it was a robbery. And then a couple of the judges kind of had a go at me and they were like, what, what do you know? And they pulled up some of my tweets saying, well, look, round two was a close round. And now you said it was a close round, but you're saying it's a robbery. So anyway, we had a bit of a back and forth. And uh, one of the judges who was on that fight, Ben Cartilage, he reached out to me maybe six months later and said, look, we probably shouldn't have done that you probably shouldn't have done what you did call us out we, we probably shouldn't have snapped back at you and then i started talking to him from there and um it turns out ben you know he was on his way up then but still a very top level judge at that stage but yep. now he's one of the best judges in the world i think he judged a habib versus pari and fight island and others so uh, i started talking to him from there and really i've been talking to him since we've become good friends and he's kind of taught me the ways of judging if you want to put it like that he's kind of i've gone to him every weekend asked him questions and it's been going on now for maybe four or five years. So I've done my best to try to kind of acknowledge uh, what the way the judges see it, the way the criteria is written. And obviously there's there seems to be a big difference between the way kind of fighters, coaches and fans maybe see it and the way the criteria is actually written. So kind of right. I suppose what I've been doing over the last two to three years is trying to bridge that gap. <laughs> it's a very tough uh, gap to bridge, to be honest. Well, we appreciate all of your work and effort along those lines, and I would encourage everybody to check out the pinned tweet at Sean Sheehan BA uh, and dive into his scoring explanation. But before I send it over to Ken Flo, and I want to be as efficient as possible with your time, I was actually going to probe our listeners have all and have them ask you questions, right, so mm -hmm. that I could make sure that I ask the right questions today. Um, I guess I would just say in an open-ended way, sometimes I bemoan the fact that after Aljamain Sterling fights Piotr Jan, that like our show 
is just drawn into this like morass of negativity because we're talking about scoring instead of talking about the undisputed champion or the fight or the martial arts. And, you know, Kempflo doesn't always want to show up and talk about scoring. So how do you navigate that with your own shows? Or do you find that you kind of always just lean into it because people are passionate about it? Look, I think everyone covering MMA has has that issue, whether, you know, even even this last weekend where there's like early stoppages and maybe no contests and things like that. Or, even, you know, it's it's a debate that's always going to happen. And I, I always say, well, if, you know, if we're getting into the, the, you know, the debate about judging, if there's a close round, it's a close round. You know, no matter what scoring system you have, no matter, you know, who's judging it, it's going to be a close round and there's going to be debate. You know, one person will say Aljo, one person will say Yan, one person will say a fighter B, one person will say a fighter A. And it's always going to be like that. But on my show, look, it's it's the same as what you have. We probably come on, we talk about judging for the, the start and we try to cut it off and then tr- try to talk about the actual fight because, like, you look at that sterling Yan fight and what, what Sterling did in that fight, no one expected him to do it. I remember doing a preview show before and go, there's no way a Sterling can win a decision. You know, if it goes to the decision, it's going to be Yan. And I scored it for Sterling. I think most people kind of did score it for Sterling. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal display. And it is a shame. Like, even someone who, who you know, talks an awful lot about judging, I'm sure the judges would say and the officials would say, would say it too. We shouldn't be talking about that. But who's that down to? Is that down to the judges? Is that down to the officials? Or is that down right. to the people covering it? Like, and I'm one of those people covering it, so I'm not calling out anywhere or anything. I'm I, I'm as bad as anyone else for doing it. But um, like, I think look, if you're talking about judging, if you're talking about scoring, as long as you're talking about it in the right way, as long as you're talking about it with the criteria backing you, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about it. So it's it's a part of the sport, and it always will be. I, I want to talk about the criteria. Do you think? the rules and the explanation of how you judge a fight is specific enough it, it, or is it should it be that general because sometimes i feel like if you get down to the micro too much uh, you, you can run into some issues as well but uh, what's your take on that uh, do you know what i, I think it with the way it's written is is a little bit open ended and you know it's yeah. you know people say it's it it's down to interpretation and stuff but talking to judges, right? And it's funny because I talk to one judge and I ask him a question about a certain round or a certain part of a round or a certain minute in a fight. And I talk to one judge and he says one thing. And I talk to the other judge and he says the exact same thing. And talk to another judge and he says the exact same thing. And it's the minutia that they go and talk about. You know, we're always, I always hear from people, there's no accountability with judges. We never hear from the judges afterwards. But you know who does hear from the judges afterwards? Other judges. They get on a call. They have, I've been on a couple of their calls with California. There's one coming up in the in the UK now. They've set up their own commission here recently. I'm going on one. I think it's next week or in two weeks' time, and they talk it out. I know Forrest Griffin has been on recently. Um, I know other people have been on with him as well, and they talk out these rounds. They actually play it around on the Zoom. They go through it, and all the judges. There's a you know a a, a, a quiz thing comes up, and you can say it's a ten nine, ten eight, and then they go through it and say why is it a ten eight? One judge from you know the UK will talk, one judge from the US will talk, and they go through it like that. And that, that to me, and I look, speaking to judges as well, they all have uh, WhatsApp groups and they talk to each other after fights and they say, why did you do this? Why did you do it that way? And to me, look, it's easy to go on. I have the unified rules up in front of me here. They're only three and a half pages long. It's easy to go and look at the unified rules. The tough part is to break down the minutia of the unified rules. And that's to me what I've been trying to do over the last few years, talking to different judges and trying to break it down in specific ways. And when you look at it and you think, you know, it's very open-ended, it's, it's down to interpretation. But the funny thing is, if you look at rounds, which I've done every week through the criteria for the last maybe two and a half or three years, in the UFC anyway, at the big level, if you're not in Texas or a few other places, right. they're very consistent, extremely consistent. Now, you mightn't agree with them, 
but they're consistent in the way they judge. If and if you don't agree, if you don't agree with the way the criteria is written, the criteria will have to be changed. Like there's there's two ways of judging a fight, right? Judge it via the criteria or judge it via how you think the criteria should be written. And if you're judging via how do you think the criteria should be written, you're doing it the wrong way, right? Because that's if, if like I, I put up the example, and it's a bit of an obtuse example, but if you go to uh you know if you watch an NFL game and the score is ten points to three, right? And you think no. That's that's not how I like it scored. It actually should be twenty four points right. to seventeen. Well, the the rules are written. You you can't just make up your own rules and decide. Right. You know, I'm sure the Patriots would have won every Super Bowl ever if if you're scoring it that way. John. It, you just can't do it that way. And I feel a lot of people are doing it that way. You know, we talk about after control. Control. We talk about uh, top position. It does not matter a jot. MMA is about effective grappling and effective um, effective striking. And that, you know, we can obviously get into that. But that, to me, is is the biggest thing when you're talking about judging. Sean, if we can go back to the Sterling-Yon fight, round two uh, is another thing that people talk about. In your opinion, do you think that was a 10-8 round? Uh, no, I don't. I, I'm back. I just watched it before we started, and I watched it last week as well. Now, 10-8s have changed. I know John spoke about it on, on this show last week. Um I don't think it was a 10-8 before the 10-8s change, honestly. I, I think, look, it's one of those rounds where it's, this is the bit, and this is the minutia we talk about with effective grappling, right? So, Kenny, if you're teaching someone a jiu-jitsu class or a wrestling class tomorrow, you will absolutely teach them that what Aljamain Sterling did in that second round is effective grappling. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at it from a judging point of view, it's not effective from a judging point of view, but there's two different types of effective, right? Effective in terms of winning, um, uh, you know, a scramble or winning position or winning, a, you know, a, a fight in terms of an overall fight, but in terms of winning a round or winning via effective grappling, it's not just getting a position. It's not just holding someone in a position. It's what you do from the position. Like I'll take another obtuse angle, just because the, the judging criteria as well is written for, you know, these wild, uh, you know, occasions. Let's say, okay, we all we all think the the mount is the most dominant position you can have in mixed martial arts. Most people would agree with that. Or maybe you know, maybe the back mount with the back triangle, but one of the most. Yeah. What about if you get Alexi Olnik in the mount? You know, that's not a very advantageous position, then, is it? Because right. he's going to Ezekiel choke you from the mount. You know, so it's what you do with that position. That position for Alexi Olnik is way more advantageous. So why should the person in the mount get the score? If the person in the mount is landing big elbows and hitting him from that position, absolutely. Now, on the Sterling round two, he had the uh, he had the uh, the body triangle for a large portion round. I actually think that is effective grappling. I know you talked briefly about that last week because that you know I've never been in that position. But I'm sure Kenny, you could tell us and John as well. That hurts you like that when you're holding that. Um, was it Paria and Pettis? He got submitted with a with a body yeah. triangle. That absolutely is effective grappling. So George is looking at that and he's like. You know, that, that scoring from that position. But watching back the fight, there there wasn't really a position for me in that fight. Maybe you disagree, but I didn't think there was one second where it looked like Jan was about to get submitted. You know, he had the hand around the neck in the last minute of the fight, but Jan quickly got it off. And I remember Joe said in the commentary, he did well. He did really well to to uh, to defend that position. And the effective striking came. I looked at it. I actually wrote it down. It was between 1 minute 40 left in the round and mm-hmm. 59 seconds. So to me, he had 41 seconds of truly effect. Now he had other pits of effective striking, but overwhelming, I would say, or effective striking in that. So you look, and you're looking at the 10-8 round, and this is what you should always do after a round. It's written in the criteria. There's three uh, parts of a round you should look at. Damage, duration, and domination, right? And 
did he have the duration? Yeah, he had the duration. Did he have the domination? I, I would say he dominated him for, like he dominated him a lot for that 40 seconds and he was in a dominant position. But I think that more goes to the duration side of it. So you could argue kind of one and a half there, I would think. The damage, I didn't think there was much damage there, to be honest. Now, there was damage for that 40 seconds, right? And if you're looking at it from before, the 10 we were talking about before, when there's two of those Ds, you consider it. So if someone had given a 10-8, absolutely. With the new 10-8s, you have to have overwhelming damage. That's what they're telling him now. And there, I don't think there's any argument to say he had overwhelming damage in that round. So I don't think any judges, and I don't think any, I think all three gave a 10-9. So yeah, I don't think that's a 10-8 in that specific round. So it doesn't have to be over to be overwhelmingly effective. It has to be overwhelming damage for that yeah. to be scored at 10-8. Now it does, yeah. But you're saying uh, now it does, and that's what they're telling them now. Has the language been rectified to affect that, you know, to to dovetail with that communication? Right. No, the language I mean, hasn't been changed. You know, that, like, that's an issue. That that's a biggest, and that I hate it. I put out a tweet about it the other day. I really don't like it. As someone who's you know very much on the judge, the judge's side and yeah, on the, yeah. the officiating and side, we of, are too. I hate at, it because the record. Yeah, the problem but, with it is, and I'm sure you'll bring it up here, like. Round one was 10 9 to Sterling. Round two was 10 9 to Sterling. And they are very different rounds, you know? Right. And that's a problem that, that in some ways can't be rectified totally. But the 10 8s being given the way they were for the last, what was it, uh, four years, really, really helped to that issue, I feel like. As someone yeah. who's looked at all the rounds, it's really helped that issue. And the fact that we've gone back, and it's it's not gone totally back. It's it's absolutely not gone totally back, but it's gone back a bit. I don't don't think that helps that sort of position. Now that one specifically, I think it was still borderline to be honest. But there's lots of other rounds that probably would have been ten eights a few months ago, and now they are in ten eights. And look, when I say overwhelm, I, it's overwhelming damage. So it's not overwhelming dominance. It's not overwhelming duration. It doesn't need to be exactly five minutes. It doesn't need like if you let's say the um, the uh, what's the Luke Rockall, Chris Weidman. Do you know that round where Luke is destroying right, yeah. him? If that happened now, that that's overwhelming damage. That's yeah. going to be that's still right. going to be a ten eight. Right. But if you have a round like you know the, the Jan Sterling round where he is like a John Fitch sort of round where he's on top for a full five minutes, landing strikes but not landing too much. Six months ago, that could have been that could have been a ten eight round. They still weren't really given those rounds, and I like that because I think you should have to land damage from those positions. But it could have been a ten eight round. Now it can't yeah. be. They yeah. want overwhelming damage for it to be a 10 round. That's round. interesting. And when I watched it live, I didn't think 10-8 necessarily, but I did bring it up on the broadcast. And then when I watched it back, I thought for sure 10-8. And you have widened my eyes even more so here. But let me ask you this. Yes or no question. Are you okay with someone who scored that for Aljo 10-8 in real time and who didn't have the benefit to go watch it back a million times? Like, I'd imagine even an expert like yourself would be okay with a fan who watched that round and thought it was a 10-8, no? Uh... If you're looking at it, if you're looking at it from how we're judging right now, which you should always look at it uh, in those eyes, I think that's not a 10-8. Okay. You're you know? a writer. Like I'm a former editor. We could pick the language apart the way it's written. Like you and I could take a day or a week and certainly make that language tighter and more clear and digestible. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Got to eliminate the 10-10s because it sounds to me, Sean, like if you score around 10-10, the commission might fucking cut you off for the rest of the night and not let you judge again. Honestly. You know? Yeah. it's uh, And that's the way it is. I'm looking at the criteria right here in front of me. Uh, this score will be extremely rare. It says about a 10-10. Extremely rare. Like, uh, a judge once told me, right, a judge is not ju a noun. A judge is a verb, too. The judges are sent there to judge around 
they're they're not sent there to sit in the fence and say it's it's a 10-10 right. round. No, right. if there's a no contest and it goes 10 seconds and no one has landed a strike, that's basically what 10-10 rounds are there for, you know? You go out, the judges, uh, there's three ways of scoring a fight, right? The effective striking grappling, which we talked about, if that's dead even, which it never is, you go to the effective aggression. If that's dead even, you go to the octagon control. So there's three ways to score a right, fight. There. Right. You don't need, after that comes the 10-10. If all of those are equal, then it's a 10-10. That, does, that just doesn't happen. That just does As I said, the judge is a verb. He, he, if, if Kenny lands one punch and John lands one punch, who's going to land the harder punch? No, probably Kenny. Right. Let's be, let's be right. honest here. So oh, the, the, ref is going to give, the ref is going to give the, the round to Kenny. That's the way. And as well, you know, when we're talking about it, and you said on, on the second, uh, on the, the commentary in the second round, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, or you said in the podcast last week that you thought... Uh, Sterling won the first. Uh, sorry, you thought Yan won the first, then you saw the numbers and you thought Sterling won it. And you know, we've seen that a lot of times people that pull up the numbers to justify why someone wins around. That's a completely wrong thing to do. I agree. Like, it, it, the numbers matter not one jot. Like, imagine you, you, I don't know how many um, strikes Aljamain Sterling landed. Uh, let's say 30 strikes, right? So he lands those 30 strikes, they have the effect they have. Imagine the punch that Dan Henderson landed on Michael Bisping the second time they fought over right. Manchester where he knocked him down. That one punch is more effective than those 30 punches all together, right? So if that if Perian had landed that strike that Dan Henderson landed, I would and not one other strike in the round, I would argue he won the round, and he should win the round via the criteria. So right. the stats would be 30 to 1, and the guy who landed the 1. Now that's one an obtuse example right. again, but you get what I mean. Like if Jan had landed 15... And they were more effective than the 30. Sterling landed, then the 15 strike should outweigh the 30. And the person with the more effective 15 strike should win their own. Right. And I think my purpose in bringing it up was maybe to say, you know, 12 fights into the night, you know, am I seeing things clearly yeah. right? I look over to my left after what I thought was a yawn round and I saw those numbers. But you and I are aligned as far as the stats and just how unofficial and, and largely uh, eliminatable they are. Um, Kenny, if you want to jump back in at any time, I got a million things going on here. All right. The scoring system itself. Right. So I just spoke with the executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, Jeff Mullins, I believe is his name. Really good dude. And he referenced, I think, the Chuck Norris Combat League, Kenny and Sean, that basically had a scoring system. I think a five-point scoring system that your average round would be a 5-3. And a super close round would be scored a 5-4. And then maybe your prototypical 10-8 would be a 5-2. And... That intrigued me. I know there's a million things we could talk about, Sean. Open scoring, noise-canceling headphones for the judges, expanding the judges from five to three. There's a million things we could do. Um, but do you believe that the scoring system – I mean, the language is terrible. But the scoring system itself, do, do you believe it to be fundamentally flawed for modern-day mixed martial arts? Uh, no, as long as you have the right judges. There, there are very, very few judges in the world – who can score it really well. And we see that when the UFC goes to Texas or when not just the UFC, anywhere else goes to Texas. Can you, you were on the, the PFL, obviously doing the commentary last year. And the biggest problem with that was it was at the same time that the UFC were doing week in, week out in Nevada. So all the judges, you know, Sal DiMano, Chris Lee and all, they were all in Nevada. All the great English judges were in England, all, the, you know, and there was very few. There was a lot of local judges. And what do we have? The, the biggest robbery last year, what was it? I think we would have probably all agree, Rory McDonald, Gleason Thibault. And it was in PFL because the best judges were in the UFC that weekend judging in, in Las Vegas. So there aren't that many great judges. 
and as I said before, the, the criteria, you know, the way it's, we can argue all day about the way it's written. I actually like the way it's written, but once you get into it and once you dig deep in it, and it doesn't matter, like it's three and a half pages, and it's I think it's three and a half pages for a reason, so it, people can actually read it. So it's not, uh, you know, so so people kind of don't stay away from it, or not afraid of it. If it's it could be fifty pages, and no one would ever read it. So I think that's maybe part of the reason why it's like that as well. But I think it makes sense. Like you see at the very top of the scoring criteria, it says MMA is an offensive sport, and it's scored that way. Like a lot of these conversations as well, I think should start with the sport and start with what's good for the sport. And I think offense yeah. is good for the sport, making the sport exciting. I know I, I, I hope we don't get into an open scoring debate because I hate I No, hate I, we don't I need to talk debate. about that, but I, I feel like there's just, I mean, the language is so hypocritical, Sean. Like it literally will say you don't have to overwhelmingly dominate and then that you do within the same fucking stanza, my man. Like it really, we could really go through this. And I mean, we've, we've done it on the show, so we don't need to, but you know, I know sometimes you take issue when people will say like numerically, how can round one be 10, nine Sterling and round two also be 10, nine Sterling. That's the biggest so, issue. So, mm -hmm. but how do we solve that? Like if that's the, like the, our, our scoring system doesn't, it doesn't work in my humble opinion. Like it doesn't. And you say like you and John McCarthy are aligned that we, I know I'm all over the place that we only have eight or 10 elite judges in the world. Then why does Sal Diamato and Chris Lee disagree all the fucking time? You know, cause I put them on that pedestal that you do and they disagree all the fucking time. Close you rounds know? are close rounds though. You have to remember that. Like a lot of these are like, Jan Sterling is a first round is a perfect example. Like, tell me what system, tell me what writing of a criteria could split that open. Like, right. maybe we could do it by stats, right? We could do it by stats. But what if Dan Henderson lands that one punch? Then the stats are useless. You know, I feel like what we have right now, if, if we look, you don't really need to, to look into all the criteria. You don't really need to, to go down through it. Effective striking, and effective grappling. Whoever has the better of that wins the round. We can look at it as simple as that. And that's the way MMA should be, you know, because we want it to be an offensive sport. We want the person looking for the finish at all times. I, I spoke to a fighter, Will Flory, who's a very good fighter. He'll probably be in the UFC in, in the next year. And I asked him, do you, have you read the scoring criteria? Do you look at the criteria when you're going to fights? And he said, no, I just try to finish the fight at all times. So when I go in there, and that's, no, I'm not saying every fighter should be like that. Fighters should absolutely fight to a game plan and everything. But that's the way MMA should be written for it to be a more exciting sport that's what mma is and yeah. i feel like the criteria is that right and when you're looking at who wins around it should be who gets closest to finish who lands the more damage who does the better stuff and you know you were talking just talking about john jones i caught the, the the back end of it there as i was coming in the reason john jones's latest fights were closer than maybe his past fights would have been because the criteria changed and when you're fighting from the outside and you're fighting a more safe fight and i love john jones i think he's a fantastic fighter and i love that style but that style isn't scoring as heavily under the new criteria as it is under the old criteria. Because John Jones is maybe not the biggest knockout artist in the world. He's not maybe the biggest hitter in the world. Whereas someone who comes in and maybe lands two or three shots on John Jones in a round after John Jones outscores him for most of the round can now win a round against John Jones. And I think that's good. I like that. And that's, that's mostly the reason why I read the criteria. I agree with you that the criteria isn't specific enough the way it's written in those three and a half pages. But my argument to why it works well is because for the judges and for the way they go through the criteria, it is extremely specific. It's very hard to, to, to achieve that level of specificity that those, those judges have achieved, but they do have it. Kenny, uh, I just what do you think about the five point score? So it, 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 in that scoring system, right? Mm -hmm. Sterling Yon, right? So I would have gone five four Sterling 
in the first round because it's super close. And I'll be quick on this. Then 5-3 for Sterling in rounds two and three. And then I would have gone 5-3 for Jan in rounds four and five. And the result would be 21-20 Sterling, not unlike a 48-47. So, yeah, I get the same scorecard in a lot of respects. But you're then affording the judges a little bit of wiggle room there to deal with these close rounds. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't think we we give the judges all the tools to succeed with our 10-9 must scoring system, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, Sean, it seems like what you're talking about is that there's a change in perspective of the rules, not necessarily a change of the rules themselves. So uh, it th- that's a tricky thing. I, I, I don't know. Um, and it seems like, you know, the judges are, are becoming more and more aligned on it. But then I, I think, you know, we see this dispute among certain rounds as well because it is an art and not necessarily a science. And someone's perspective on that execution of those techniques are going to be different or going to vary uh, round by round and, and person by person, I guess. Uh, would you agree with that? I would. Funnily enough, I was actually uh, talking to, to Mike Mazzulli, who's head of the, the ABC. He was over in Ireland at the, in the last year at Bellador Guard. And I was having a chat with him about the criteria I kind of cornered him when someone missed away and I chatted him for like an hour about it and uh he was saying do you know what you sound to me like one of the guys I have he's like what's your background and I told him like mathematics and, and economics and go oh yeah the guy I have is, is an engineer and he's like but you look at it the same way I look at it in a very specific way right and like you know I have no background in mixed martial arts apart from watching it for the last few years someone and I know lots of the judges do have and they'll look at it and they might see a choke and know obviously know better than me and when you're sitting cage side as well as you know the two of you can can attest to uh, very much it's very very different as a fly just flies in front of me uh it's it's very very different to see there you can you can feel the shots you can see you know someone gurgling yeah. from a choke or something like that it's very different to, to do it at, at home and look at it but I, I would agree with you there like I I think we need to meld them both. And just as well, what you said before that as well, the criteria in totality change. I'm just looking here, August 2nd, 2016, but I think it changed on the 1st of January, 2017. What has changed in the last six months is just the 10-8 part. And uh, talking to some people about it, I think they do want to get the wording changed. They can only do that once a year. That's the way the ABC do it. But what has changed... I, I was kind of told it's not that the tre- you know the treaties the damage dominance duration for the ten eight is still there, but it's how they're applying it that mm. has kind of changed. It's so like I can see their argument that they don't need to like immediately change it. It's just the way they're applying it has changed slightly because it all three still have to be there. Or all three, you know, yeah. if all three are there, you can still give a ten eight. They're not taking that away. They're not saying if only two of the D's are there, you can't give a ten eight. They're saying damage must be the most important part. In some ways. I think it's good, and I think damage. Uh, like there was some rounds that were there were too much. Someone was lying on top of someone for five rounds or for five minutes, sorry, and it was a ten eight, and they didn't land really much. I like those. I don't think they, those should be ten eight. MMA is an offensive sport. I'll say it again. It's top of the rules. But now someone could be lying on top of someone and no, not lying on top and have top position for five minutes and landing good shots. Like I, those are the type of rounds I like to to be t- uh, to see being given as a ten eight. Or they wouldn't be. You'd have to hurt someone really badly with the land big elbows, cut them open or something like that to get it any now. And I don't like that. Like that to me is the biggest issue with the judging criteria over the last while. It's why judging has been more of a um more of a debate in the last six months. And it's all stemming from this 10-8 changing, I think, because mm. there was l- 
it was, as I said, it was very consistent. If you're in Nevada, if you're and the European judges as well, fantastic. I would love to see more of them being brought over. I was watching the Tyson Fury fight at the weekend. There was one judge from Mexico, I think one from America, and one from Germany or somewhere. Why don't we be- bring the best judges in? Like the UFC, Bellator, PFL, have plenty of money for you know 800 quid of a flight. Bring them in, bring in the best judges to have them there right. and, and you know do it that way because. We have a great system over here in, in the UK and Ireland where we have cage wires, which is, you know, like UFC light. They have KSW over in Poland. Those shows are absolutely massive. The judges doing that, you know, Mark Goddard goes over there a lot. He does, you know, the course with them. They have a great system of coming up. I would love to see those judges brought over. So, you know, that number you said of eight or 10 really good judges, it could rise to 20 really good judges yeah. very, very quickly. So I, that's another thing that I think we could improve judging with. I'm fascinated by this conversation. Next time, I'm going to book you for a full hour. And I've wanted to book you for a while, but part of the reason, let's, let's go. I've got two part hours. Of reason, part of the reason I did book you today was because in following your social media, I did notice that there was this change over the last six months. And I think that might be breaking news even to some of our UFC producers. I can't wait to talk to the folks in Vegas when I get there this weekend to talk to Jeff Mullins and to talk to Mark Ratner because this needs to be communicated. It really does. Um, the open scoring thing, you and I are both against it. I'm against it because I think it effectively changes the sport and it's totally unfair for the fighters. Real quick, why are you so adamantly against it? Look, I think there's, we look at open scoring, we said the fighters deserve to know the score, right? That's the big argument for open scoring, right? If this, uh, Let me ask you a question, John. If the score in an NFL game is seven points to three, right, what has happened? One team is down four. No, no, but what has happened? How how did it become 7-3? Oh, right. One team scored a touchdown. The other was only able to kick a field goal, right? Very easy, right? If it's a soccer match match and it's 1-1, Man United have scored one goal, Liverpool have scored a goal, right? We know. Very easy. If the fight is 19-19, how did it come to that? It's very tough. How did he win? Okay, he won one round, he won another round. Did he have more effective grappling? Did he have more effective striking? Uh, did he have, you know, did he win by octagon control? What way? Like, it, it's so, so complicated to yeah. just throw out the scores there without having an explanation for those scores in the middle of the fight. That's the biggest issue for me. There are a myriad of issues. Yeah. Matt, see Matt Brown and Brian Barberena a couple of weeks ago. The whole crowd going insane after the third round because Matt Brown lost it. Imagine if that was a five-round fight and the score was read out after the third round. Imagine the pressure on those judges. Remember yeah. a, a, a couple of years ago, there was a Joe Rogan thought he saw a judge with his phone. I remember everyone was like going insane. Hi, right, was like, right. And it, it turns out it wasn't a judge. It was right. just an official. But right. why was everyone going insane about that? Because we thought the judge wasn't paying attention, right? That's the biggest issue. The judge wasn't watching the fight. Imagine if there's 20,000 Ohioans behind you roaring at you. You're you fucking yeah, idiot. You're yeah, blind. You're right. That's not off-putting. Like, that to me is a massive issue. And like, I'm looking at it very much from a judging perspective here. I'm sure other people look at it from other perspectives. But if you think it's going to make better judging, I, I think you're sorely mistaken. I think it's going to do nothing but make judging worse. And I also think it's going to make judges leave. And if we said you've only eight great judges in America, now imagine if two yeah. or three of them leave, then we're in a very bad position. So that's the position I look at, at it from. There are some positives to open scoring, absolutely. I think if everyone understood the criteria, and I think if we had loads of judges, no problem, open scoring. But I don't think it makes sense right now. Sean, one, one more for me now. Uh, conversely, do you think they should be taken out of the arena and in a room separately to watch the fight to not be influenced uh, in that regard? I don't. I don't think so. I, I wouldn't mind trying that to see how it works. But 
uh, like everyone, you know, the three of us, I've been sitting cage side watching a few fights as well. You can hear the crack of a shot. You know, you can, I remember I was at a, at a fight, Fabian Edwards fighting, he's a very good Bellator fighter. And I was just after coming in doing an interview, I was kind of half watching the fight and I was typing, putting up uh, something and I heard a crack. And next thing I saw his opponent falling and I looked up at the screen, I saw he landed this massive kick to the body. You can hear that crack audibly in the arena that you can't at home. You just can't hear it at home. And you, the two of you know that better than anyone else. You can see the choice. You can, I think it's way better when you're cage side. Now, I know in the UFC and, and do you see have the, the TV uh, a lot of the time in front of the judges where they can watch it, you know, if they're at a, a bad angle or something. I actually saw it at the weekend. I don't know if you noticed. Sal Mato was, was uh, refing one of the UFC fights and a cameraman like walked directly in front of him and he like pulled his leg and like get out of my way. So that, yeah. that, that can be a big issue as well. But yeah, I uh, and also a massive issue as well. And this is a very judging specific issue, but there is a side of the cage where there's a door on uh, two sides of the cage where there's a door on it. And there's one judge that sits on that side of the cage. So one, two of the judges have this big open expanse they can see everywhere. But one judge has a fucking door like here in front of half his face. And to look around like this, you know, to to look. That is a big issue. And that's something I would love to see change. I don't know if you can only have a door on one side of the cage or move the judges somewhere else. That to me is a massive issue. And like, it can happen. That um, Sterling Yan fight, if there was one, the, the first round, if there was one big shot, it could have changed that whole round. And imagine if that shot happened as the judge was going like this and he missed it. Then the judge is going to score it yeah. differently from the other judge. Yeah. And everyone is saying, oh, why is Chris Lee and Saldi a matter different? It's because of this fucking cage. You know? uh, Sorry. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Sometimes, you know, their their backs are, are, you know, they're fighting here and I could land a shot and it might seem like I hit him, but maybe I didn't. It might seem like I missed him, but maybe I actually hit him, you know, depending on where the judge is on the screen. That's why... I, I wonder if monitors or them having access to some other camera angles would help or hurt. I don't. It's a tricky situation. I don't know. Yeah, I think like the fact that they do at, at the UFC shows, especially that they do have, uh, they do have the the feed in front of them and they they can see it. It's great because if the cameraman does stand in front of you, or if you can, you know, if the two fighters are fighting in front of you and all can see is their backs to be able to look at the camera feed, that that's great. And I think that really helps judges. You know, some shows don't have that, and you're going to have, you know, you're going to have worse judging. That's why, like, people complain an awful lot about the level of judging in the UFC. It's actually fantastic. It really is. It's brilliant. And I think a lot of it is down to, you know, some people say, oh, Saldi Mato, he's terrible, or Chris Lee, he's terrible. The reason people say he's terrible is because a hundred other people who've never fucking read the criteria has said he's terrible. Right. That's and that, like for someone like me and for the judges, it's so frustrating when you hear it's it's not the reality of the situation that people are taking as fact it is the bullshit that people are taking as fact and that to me is the biggest issue fair enough if your opinion that one judge is rubbish give me a year of that judge's scores and tell me why those scores are bad and then i will agree with you that he's rubbish i I like i asked i've some people at the end of the year i was talking about um we you know we do the awards at the end of the year and i pick out the the robbery of the year and it was easy last year we all know it was rory mcdonald and glass and tibau but I was uh, I was saying like I, I do the awards for our website and I try to get um, nominations like five or ten usually for and it's very hard and I ask people like tell me what fights do you think if judging is so bad tell me what fights you think are robberies from the last year give me five examples and no one could like it's it's there's very few there's, there's a lot of fights you can say oh look I thought Sterling won I thought Yan won you know I thought you know Cody won I thought TJ won whatever it might be I know they both finished but you get me it, it, that happens a lot, but the actual robberies, people yeah. actually getting robbed these days at the highest level, it's almost non-existent from my view. 
I agree. And my issue, as you can tell, is more with the scoring and the system than it is with the judges. But I will not sort of say that we're in this great state of UFC judging when experts like you and John McCarthy tell me they're only eight or ten. Like you're telling me that this job like they're the NFL quarterback, right? There are 32 NFL teams, right? There are probably only 15 really good NFL quarterbacks in the world. And all the backups are really fucking bad, right? Overall, like can't start, right? And you're telling me that MMA judge is an even more selective profession. I know you've been asked a million times, like, why, why don't you judge? I know it's not because you don't have a martial arts background. Like, why don't you dip your toe in the water? Because I have about 100,000 tweets out there about every Saturday and, <laughs> and about 10,000 podcasts. Yeah. Saying, right. oh, this I, lad was rubbish in this. I couldn't judge. I could right. judge an amateur fight, maybe, or something like that. But, yeah, <laughs> but you know, obviously, it's, it's pro fighters and people like yourself get asked a lot if we need more elite judges. Yeah. Seems like the people that might be qualified aren't aren't jumping at those opportunities. The, the people that are qualified are the people that are judging. Like, just because you're an ex fighter, like, look at Frank Trigg. He has done it, right? And he's become a very good referee. He made a great decision uh, last week in the UFC. I think he was judging one of the fights in Bellator this weekend, and I think he made a great decision and a tough fight uh, to judge as well. But why haven't more... Like, the, the question is, like, oh, why don't we see more ex-fighters doing it? Well, why don't we? The reason we don't see them is because it takes years and you get paid nothing. Yeah. You know? What well, fighter is... Yeah. You know, what fighter is going to go out and... You know, I, I know I'm... I actually spoke to uh, the, the Kansas commissioner there about a year ago or so. I was kind of asking him what people get paid. They get paid almost nothing. They get look, right. you get a, you get a bit when you're at the UFC, and they're still not great pay or at Bellator level. But if you're the five years to get to the UFC level, where you have to be judging week in week out for twenty dollars, maybe what fighter who's had ten years of a career who might have a few hundred grand if they're lucky in the bank or, or a few million in the bank? What fighter is going to do that? What fighter is going to drive five right. hours to get to an arena and do it week in week out to get to the very top level? No, but you can't just simply turn up and say, oh, I was an ex-fighter, let me judge. We've seen some of them. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of them yeah. around different places, and they haven't been they haven't been good. You need to study the criteria. You need to do what the judges are doing all the time. And we don't only have eight or ten top judges. We have eight or ten top judges in America. We have many right. more worldwide. No, of pay, course. Pay that money and get those people in, and then we will have, uh, I said it already, we'll have a lot of better judging. It's, it's not easy to become one of the best judges in the world. It really, really isn't. It takes a lot of dedication. Like, even if you start off and you say, I'm going to become one of the best judges in the world, to tell me you're like two or three years in and you haven't got a shout from Cage Warriors yet or you haven't got a shout from CFFC or you haven't got a shout from never mind the UFC, never mind PFL, never mind Bellator and you're still judging on a, you know, a rinky-dink show in someone's garage you know, two and a half years later just to get there. That's what these judges have to do. That's how they grew and that's how they became the best judges in the world. And someone with a lot of money in the bank certainly isn't going to do that. Right. And maybe the people with, you know, that that want to do it start out wanting to do it i i'm not going to do it you know i'm, I'm certainly not going to right, there's no, enough shows around here as well to, to do it like and it's it's a very hard thing to become you know yeah well no and i think you make a great point like anything else in life you got to get repetitions you got to evolve and get good at the job and i was in an elevator with sal diamato and Derek cleary recently and they're two guys that i believe are elite judges and i said to sal i was like dude i'll defend you until i'm blue in the face when you score you know, Jack or Manson over Sean Strickland because over the course of a calendar year, you're fucking money. And I think Sal's the best, you know? Um, and I've said repeatedly, like if I was a judge, like I would have a lot of wayward random round scores that are bad over the course of a year. So I agree that these guys are pretty good. Um, we're going to have you back on, but we got to fly. If you want more from Sean Sheehan and why would you not 
Check out the Severe MMA podcast, also the Sheehan Show at SureDog.com. And on Twitter, every Saturday night, I get off the air, and this is one of the feeds that I go to, at Sean Sheehan BA. My <laughs> man. Is that a good thing? <laughs> always a good thing. You know, because, I mean, it's like, for me, I have no ego when it comes to my scorecard. And I say every week it should be tossed out. But your scorecard, your scorecard means something, my man. I don't know about that. Thanks, hey, Lance. Thanks, thanks, for thanks Sean. You're the best. There he is, thanks, Sean Sheehan with us right. on the Anakin Florian podcast. I could talk to that guy all fucking day. I mean, I literally have seven questions that I didn't even get into. Um, but I didn't have the exact hypocritical 10-8 language that was in there. But, right, it's like, you know, Ken Flo, isn't it nuts that, like, over the last six months, like, there has been a perspective change and some communication of that change to the judges, but certainly not to the MMA masses or the right. fan base or the promoters. It's fucked, man. Yeah, a, a lot of it kind of just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, with anything else, uh, you know, we're creatures of habit and we don't like change. And, 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 and to have some kind of change, especially positive change, takes time. So I'm curious to see how this is going to evolve over time. So, yeah. All right. Anything that we missed, get at, get at us at Anik Florian Pod. Uh, but we got to spin it forward here. I know we've been keeping MMA Takes podcast, Brian Petrie on hold, but we got to get to the pronunciation of the week. We got to call on Cody Merrill. What's blue eyed Cody doing there in New Jersey today, huh? What's up, kids? Collecting my winnings and a good night of PFL betting and <laughs> UFC gambling, you know, from our boy MMA Takes. Just cleaning All right. up. All right. So the pronunciation of the week this week, his first name is Gerald, longtime Rufa Sport product. They call him GM3, had a bunch of submissions last year, and people fuck up his surname all the time. I promise you I won't do it this weekend. But, Cody, this is a repeat entry on the pronunciation of the week. How do you pronounce GM3's name? This is Gerald Mearshart, correct? Oh, I mean, oh, I, I hate you. <laughs> let's, let's hear Gerald. Playing the file now. Mearshart. Oh, full name, please. Oh, Gerald Mearshart. And a Mer couple of slow ones. Gerald Mearshart. Can't flow? Gerald Mearshart. No, there's a difference between Mearshart and Mearshart. Huh. And I had it wrong, too. So, I mean, jeez. So, um, all right. It's like so, people, it, yeah, it's funny though because my last name has the same M E R part, but mine's Marrow. Yeah, like Bone Marrow. Like yeah. his Mur. Like if people yeah. called me Murrow, I'd be pissed. We're still trying to get that nickname for you to stick, Cody Bone Marrow. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean yet. nicknames, bro. I mean, if some people would take my nickname advice, maybe they would have done better in their recent fights. I'm just saying. Ooh, just saying. <laughs> just a little, little shot at the dark horse, Chris Dawkins. There, what a dick. Gerald Mershart, though, for the broadcast this weekend. It is not Mershart, despite that double E uh, in the first syllable of his last name. Cody, we'll see you on the back end for the Marrow Seconds here in a little bit, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I got some, got some good stuff for you guys. All right. That's it for the pronunciation of the week. It is now time for the Main Event Challenge. It's the Main Event Challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, give me all that big gun Brian Petrie energy Let's during go. a fight week. What's up, kid? What's so, up, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. No, it's all good. Did you listen to any of the scoring conversation with Sean Sheehan? Or I not? did. Yeah, he's great. I, I, I followed Sean for a while. I'm not a big, like, my opinion on scoring. Like, obviously, I get frustrated with it. Let let the fighters decide if they want open scoring. There's the one. They're the ones fighting. Like some people are opposed to it. Some people aren't. Some people like it. If the fighters want it, why not? You know, they're the ones risking it. 
as a capper, I don't want open scoring because there there goes your live lines. You know what I mean? Because right. the, ju- the judges come out and be like, hey, and then a guy who I think has momentum who's at a plus whatever, you know, I'm fucked. But um, yeah, I, I don't dive too much into the scoring. I think it's I, I don't have a real strong opinion on it. I listen to I know you 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 guys get on it a lot too. I just kind of trust my eyes a little bit as opposed to the language, which I probably yeah. not the smartest thing. But that's why you don't ever see me banging on judges too, too much on, on like Twitter. Well, and I'm not trying to disrespect those who wrote these rules and regulations. Yeah. And I understand it's a tricky process. Um, you know, like I used to work in the writing center at Gettysburg College, and I would do nothing but edit all day long, papers, long form mm-hmm. stuff. So I just feel like this could really just be cleaned up and more concise and just more ingestible for everybody. But um, obviously, they're not looking at me to rewrite the rules. Um, all right, so another good week for uh, for you, huh? I mean, so like yeah. you, your wife, like uh, does she appreciate all the money that you're bringing to the family with your? I I, I, hope, I hope so. No, like it's funny. Like I'll be in my office watching tape or something like that. My daughter comes in, is like, "Hey, we're having popcorn." I'm like, "Okay, daddy's working." She's like, "No, you're not." I'm like, well, <laughs> I am because I'm on a nice little run here. I'm locked in. Wife is super supportive of it. She, you know, she likes, you know, when I win and stuff, she's not like fully invested into it yet. Right. She does. I mean, we bought a new fridge. I'm buying a new bed frame here in a minute. Uh, had another good week, hit a five to one parlay with a, with, a, with some hefty units on it this weekend. Uh, Claudio Poles coming through, hit that four. I can't believe he was a four to one fa- uh, plus 400 by submission, which I didn't think he'd submit clay that quickly, but I knew he would probably get it eventually. And uh, yeah, overall good week. I mean, Donnie Madge, Kenny and I talked about it. Donnie Madge yeah. had me. Yeah. He was up. I was counting my money. I'm Dude. like, yeah, I could, I could get a pair of shoes. I could get this. Yeah. He's up two rounds and gets clipped. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I can't believe it. So. But yeah, wife's you're, appreciative. She's she's supportive for sure. You're gonna be doing this full time. There's no doubt about it. Gonna leave the Anakin Florian podcast in the dust. Just say, hey, remember <laughs> us? Be like, sorry, boys. All right. Four picks to make this week. First one for us is gonna be at middleweight guys. Fighters with a combined 30 UFC fights between them. Chris Jotko minus 160. Gerald Mershart plus 140. GM3, a perfect 3-0 in 2021 BP. As many submissions as he had wins. Your thoughts on him here against Jotko, who has sort of been on the fringe of contention for some time. Yeah, I don't know about this line. I hope Kenny and I, with our big, powerful brains, move this line because I love GM3 in this spot. I can't believe he's showing the dog here. Jocko doesn't finish anybody. He can't even finish a bag of chips. He's had one finish huh. in twenty in, back all the way back in 2016. He's got that karate style. He blitzes in, but he likes to set his own pace. He likes to squeak out a decision. Every fight he's in, even when it looks like he's winning or dominating, it's very close. GM3 is a pure finisher. This guy fucking lives in the chaos. He can strike. He can grapple. It goes to the ground and usually lights out. He's got every kind of submission. His striking, I think, is slept on because the last time we saw him strike, he got knocked out by Chimaya, but that was like in a quick burst. But he's a real durable dude. You look at the Deron Wynn fight. He was standing up with Deron Wynn, who's a decent little boxer in his own right. Nice little power. And he was boxing him up. And I think people forget how good Ger- Gerald Merskard is. And Jocko getting this number, I- I'm not sure why, because if you look at the resumes, it's not even close. And I don't want to disrespect Jocko, but he's a decision fighter. He's a point fighter. And, and GM3 is not about that. He's going to push forward, put him on his back. Jocko does have decent takedown defense. But I think when GM just makes it ugly, just gets in there and grinds on him, it's going to be a problem. I love this. I'm hammering yeah. GM3. When the line moves, I'm doubling down, hammering him again. I like GM3 by submission. Very interesting take, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Jotko has won four of five. Kenny, he outpointed Misha Serkinov last October in what was Misha's uh, middleweight debut. 
What do you think about this fight at middleweight? And ultimately, are you going Jotko or Mershart? You know, I, I thought that uh, Petrie would take the bait on Jotko, but no, <laughs> no, he's, he's too sharp. He's not he's not buying it. I'm not either. You know, listen, I, I, I like GM3 here as well. I think Mershart um, is the guy who, if they get a finish, it's going to be Mershart. Uh, you look at his submission streak and his ability to do things on the ground. Um, I, I think he can certainly get it done there. No question about that. Um, and I also think his size and his ability, you know, the, the fact that he's improved his striking over the years uh, makes him a, a problem there as well. Um, so can Jocko win the fight? Sure. But uh, I like Mershard here as well. I remember seeing Jocko early on, I think, against Bradley Scott, maybe in his UFC debut or one of his early fights, thinking, dude, this dude kicks like a motherfucker. He's going to be a real problem, just hasn't necessarily taken that next step, uh, despite being close to the top 15 and maybe even ranked uh, at one point in time. All right. Our listeners want Ken Flo to lead off on some of these selections. So we are here for the, for the you know, we're here for the listenership. I mean, you guys <laughs> run the show. So Kenny's going to lead us off on the main event today. And also the lightweights right here. A couple of former featherweights. They are Grant Dawson, minus 145, and Jared Gordon, plus 125. Odds courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. So Grant Dawson, interesting story here, Ken Flo. 5-0-1 in the UFC. Last fight was a draw against Ricky the Gladiator Glenn. Now Dawson is training and living, I believe, in South Florida, where Gordon has been for several years. Jared Gordon also has some momentum. Big fight here at 55, Ken Flo. Which way are you going, Grant Dawson or Jared Gordon? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, they kind of have similar styles in that they both – you know, like like to hit their takedowns. They they use their strikes mostly to kind of get to the clinch and work their ground game a little bit. Um, yeah, th this is going to be interesting. I I think it's a close one. Um, geez, man, I, I'm a big fan of Gordon, um, but I I think at this stage of the game, Grant Dawson might have the edge just because I think it's going to be it's going to end up being a grappling fight. Uh, and Grant Dawson might be able to outpoint him or outposition him a little bit um, there. So I, I think speed is going to be a factor, and I think Dawson's a little quicker than Gordon. Um, it should be close. Um, I'd love to see Gordon go out there and pull it off, but um, I, I give the slight edge to Dawson here in my decision. Yeah, I think there are going to be some interesting grappling exchanges here, Brian. I don't know how you forecast it. Jared Gordon has won three in a row, all of them by decision, dating to that 2019 first-round knockout loss to Charles Oliveira. Uh, your thoughts on him here as the dog against Grant Dawson? Yeah, it's a little surprising he left Krause's gym. You know, Krause's gym, I mean, this is like Krause's kind of homegrown boy a little bit. Left the gym and Krause is doing great things in there and went to at t Maybe he, maybe he wants a son. Maybe he wants to live next to J.A. I, you know, I don't really know what the move was because he's looked pretty good in the UFC. He's got that grinding style. But I've never been blown away with him. You know, I've always been kind of eh on him, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm missing something. There's like James Krause talked about it. Other people talked about it. He might just be like a feel guy. You might just need to see him in there. He's kind of like a Darren Elkins, right? Not as damage ward as Darren Elkins, but he's just like he's going to will his way to victory, right? The Leonardo Santos fight, he was losing that fight. And he came back and he knocked him out. It was a great knockout. But, you know, he has this thing about him, this intangible thing that I'm missing. And Jared Gordon was a guy that I was kind of A on as well. But then he goes out to fight Island by himself. Everyone in his family, everyone in his corner, right. all have COVID. Goes by himself. Iron Lung corners him against Chris Fiskold, who's, who's crafty on the ground, and he stifles him. 30-27 looks great. That has to be impossible to do. Then he goes out there against Danny Chav uh, Chavez, who's a very tough, durable guy. Yeah. And then the, the another one, the Joe Selecki, who's a great grappler, 
He was a split decision. Some people have different opinions on it, but he looked good in that fight. And Gordon's cardio and his pressure is very impressive to me. Stand up, I think, is going to be a watch. I think both guys are still learning a little bit. I think Gordon has a little bit better boxing. I think Grant Dawson pushes just a little bit, but he is a good-sized dude. Um, and with AT&T, he's learning some new tricks. I hopped on his Instagram. I saw him hit mitts. Con- you know, you can only tell so much hit mitts, but he looks a little bit the same to me. And Gordon at Stanford, um, I think, is just constantly getting better. And when you're giving me a plus number on Jared Gordon, I'm going to take it. This is going to be a slimy, slimy decision. This is going to be very close fight. Um, so this is going to be a good live betting opportunity if you can live bet in your state, depending how the momentum shifts. But I see Gordon maybe losing the first round and then taking over that third, and it's going to come down to that second round of how it scores. But I like Gordon by decision. And I'm looking forward to sitting down with Grant Dawson and asking him just about all the information and how much of that can be overload you know, right. as he gets ready for this fight. But I do believe that uh, Grant Dawson is going to be heard from in the future. But, uh, yeah, interesting number on Jared Gordon to be sure. All right, co-main event. We got Ray Longo on hold, fellas. Andre Arlovsky minus 135. How pissed is he going to be, by the way, in about five minutes? Um, <laughs> Go main event, Andre Arlovsky minus 135. You can see Ray, I'm talking super quickly. Jake Collier plus 115. Uh, how about Andre Arlovsky, Bry, right? Got to put him in the Hall of Fame. He's 43 years old, and he's winning, right? Going for a fourth straight win in UFC appearance number 38. I mean, he's a man. I mean, this fucking guy with the chest hair, with the beard, he's a man. I am shocked that him and I are the same gender. I can't grow face hair. This guy and I are both men. He is much more of a man than me. He's 43, and he's getting better. He's not slowing down, and he changed his game. Like a lot of people, a lot of guys like me, when I look at a guy who's like 38, I go, nah, you know, he's the same fighter he was four years ago. Not Orlovsky. He switched up. Instead of putting his chin on the line and brawling, moves his feet in and out, Um, you know, controls everything at his own pace. The only time he's lost in the past couple of years is Tommy Aspinall. He's a fucking stud. Right. Then you got Collier, who's initially guided me in the sense that he's not a heavyweight, right? He took three years off, comes in a heavyweight, doesn't really look all that great, looked frightened against Aspinall, looked like he was stepping in the haunted house, got sent home in 45 seconds, right? <laughs> then he gets a kind of a layup with a heavyweight John Volante, shows a little bit of a cardio, kind of, right? And then he got, and then he split decision over no more Carlos Felipe, and then a complete mauling over Chase Sherman, who just didn't even show up that fight. Yeah. So I'm perplexed on this guy, right? He's a decent grappler. His stand-up's coming a long way, but um, you know, there's a lot of questions I have on Collier, but I don't need any of those answers. I like on Arlovsky big here. I think he can control the distance, put together a three on display, and he doesn't have a finished knockout win since 2015 over Travis Brown. So I might want to sprinkle, sprinkle a little KO there because I think Jake Collier can. Is susceptible to getting hit a little bit. Arlovsky still has power, even though he's fighting a more measured pace here. But I like Arlovsky by decision as the official pick, but I will be sprinkling that KO prop. There. And wouldn't that be something if Arlovsky got oh, no. his first finish in about seven years? Kempflo, what do you have for us on the co-main? Yeah, I'm going to keep it quick. Uh, great breakdown by Petrie. Uh, I'm going with Arlovsky here. Uh, I think he gets it done as well. All right, main event. And it will be the first headlining spot in the UFC for Ecuador's Marlon Chito Vera. He is the plus 110 underdog against Rob Font, the minus 130 favorite. Third straight main event for the Central Massachusetts kid Rob Font. Went five rounds with the former champs Cody Garbrandt and Jose Aldo last year. And now he puts his number five ranking on the line against eighth-ranked Chito Vera. Huge fight at 135 pounds. Ken Flo, lead us off, kid. You going Marlon Vera or you going with the, the New Englander Rob Font? Dude, tremendous fight here. What a uh, fight, huh? I, I don't, man, I, I've been going back and forth on this one uh, big time. I, I think Font uh, is a tremendous talent. The the improvements that he's made, uh, you know, significant. Uh, same for Marlon Vera. Um, and 
you know, when I see both those guys, I, I know they're going to be strong for five rounds. Um, for me, I, I, I like the fact that, um, you know, Marlon has shown big improvements. Uh, he's shown heart. He finds a way to win no matter what. He believes in himself. I think five rounds uh, kind of favor him a little bit. And honestly, it's like, where do I see the value? Well, whoever the underdog is. And right now, it seems like Marlon Vera is the underdog. Yeah. I like him here. Um, I think he's tremendous in the clinch. I like the fact that he's probably going to be a little tall, a little rangier. Um, absolutely nasty with those knee elbow combinations. Um, you know, great calf kicks from the outside as well, um, where he gets, you know, a little bit uh, vulnerable, I think, is on the feet when, in the boxing exchanges. I think that's where Rob Font can, can expose him a little bit. Uh, but Cheeto has a, a chin for days, um, and I think he knows how to make the proper adjustments uh, in fight in real time. So uh, I like Cheeto here. I'm going I'm to go with Cheeto. Fascinating breakdown. I thought Rob Font fought really admirably against Jose Aldo. I do think over 25 minutes, though, Cheeto, right, has a lot of different weapons and a lot of damaging strikes and didn't get off to a great start against Frankie Edgar. You know how he finished that fight, obviously, Brian. Close main event. I can't wait to get to Vegas to call it. Marlon Vera, Rob Font. Cincinnati's finest. Who do you like? Jeez, Kenny. Kenny's just, he's sharp. Guy's a fucking sharp. <laughs> um, this is such a good main event. I love it. I mean, listen, Cheeto Vera's made for five rounds. I mean, this guy's just been jonesing for a five-round fight. He only gets stronger. Like, if the Aldo fight was five rounds, what would have happened? That's a big question because that was very close. Aldo backpacked him a little bit. But Font got the five-round treatment against Cody Garbrandt. Looked very good. Got wrestled a little bit in that fight. Touch Cody a little bit, but didn't put him away, which is guys have been able to do that. So maybe through a pause. I mean, Rob Font has great boxing, but does he have great power? That's something on the upper levels we're going to find out. But he does have great boxing. He's durable. He's tough. He's pretty big for the weight class as well. But, man, Cheeto's just mean, man. I love Cheeto. He's talking shit to Frank Yeager, who's like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And that fight front kicks him and still talking shit. Like, I love that edge on Cheeto, and I've been wanting to see that uh, five-round fight. Um, but, listen, it's a close fight. I'm going to go the opposite of Kenny. I'm going to go Rob Font. I have family in Newton, Mass. Let's go, wow. Mass. Yeah, let's go, Massachusetts, baby. Give me Rob Font. I don't love it. I do like Cheeto. I think the people who tail us a lot maybe want to go with Kenny on this one, but it is a coin flip for me, and I think uh, this is going to be a banger of a minute. All right, if you want more from Brian Petrie at MMA Takes Podcast, enjoy the new bed frame. Newton Mass, yes. by the way, <laughs> I did live there for about a year. Let's go. My family probably makes some money there living in Newton. Uh, yeah. Kenfo, not far from there in Dover, Massachusetts, but hey, man, great to see you. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, wish you the best on the board, my man. Yeah, you guys are the best. I'll see you. All right, there he is, Brian Petrie from the MMA Takes Podcast with us every week now on the Anakin Florian Podcast. James Krause will still be heard from. Just relax out there. Uh, But we really (laughs) appreciate everything that Brian Petrie has brought to the show, almost as much as we appreciate what Ray Longo continues to bring to the Anakin Florian Podcast. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Hi, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. There's the biggest fan of our podcast. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. That kid is, that kid is off the hook, man. He knows. No, he is fucking, he's good. That guy is really good. Honestly, he's going to, somebody's going to pick him up. I I mean, mean, yeah, if you guys full time right now, if you guys were responsible adults, you'd cut that kid free and let him go. (laughs) If you guys were responsible and you wanted to help somebody out, that kid should be 
cut loose because he's that kid is fuck. He's good, man. You're yeah, not. You're check. not free from us, and neither is Petrie. That's right. <laughs> I sent him a check. It wasn't as fat as yours, but so I can't even like apologize for being late to you because you'll maybe think it's so. But I do apologize for keep. I guess we're even now. Is that the fucking dog? And oh was, man, man, man! How the hell can you hear that? Oh, we locked the. <laughs> we locked her out. Even now. Um. So, how are you doing other than uh, overdue for a haircut? Man, oh my hair's growing. <laughs> I just saw, it's going down Thursday. I just saw my uh just saw Lauren Braccia, the girl that cuts my hair in the gym. Yeah. Holy crap. It was like three or four weeks ago. This shit just doesn't stop. Which is oh, a good which which, which, which is I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just yeah. saying I mean she when I walked in the gym, it was brutal. She goes, What what'd you do to your hair? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Right. But, no, I mean I had to draw attention to it, but it speaks to your health and just your overall um, my vitality. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So my son will be four in June. Ken Flo, I know. Has Happy birthday. Day. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I bring him up because he has never been to the barber. Right. So we cut his hair in the bathtub. Really? Right. So today he goes to school looking like a fucking cheetah because he's got bald spots all over his head. Wow. And it's like, hey, man, you know, I don't even want to know what his preschool teachers think of me sending him to school like this but um he won't sit That's still funny. and he won't you know i shaved his head once didn't like the bzz, you know won't go to the barber shop so we got to do what we got to do you know? oh man um so i went to an auction ray on saturday night and it was the first time i had like an auction paddle in my hand have you ever been to an auction before you got to have been to an auction no. big time. never no but i've seen it I've, but i've seen them on tv i, I get what you're talking about <laughs> Anyway, um, so I just have a few other things, and then I promise we'll get to the MMA talk. So my daughter Tatum did celebrate her birthday three days ago, and she's like, Daddy, for my birthday, can you shave your beard? Wow. And it was like, I, of course, if you want me to shave anything you want, but my wife doesn't think I look very handsome when I shave my head, like, or <laughs> when I shave my face, like, down to the bone. So I got to go meet all her coworkers at the live auction, you know? The day after Tatum's birthday. So I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I shave my face for my daughter? My wife wants me to look handsome and she feels like that can't be accomplished <laughs> without the beard. I didn't know uh, what to do. You know, both of the women in my life wanted different things, right? You know, is this what we're talking about right now? Seriously. <laughs> Are you that bored by that? Come on, Chrissy, tell me he looks good no matter what he do does to his beard or his hair. So how was your weekend? Did you have any local athletes competing before we get to the UFC and the PFL and some of the national telecasts <laughs> no this was a quiet weekend for uh for the gym at least All that right. way yeah first time in a long time first time a lot of sparring though. a lot of fights coming up it's probably about 10 guys fighting within the next month i would say three weeks all right well we're a little late today because we had a scoring expert on today sean sheehan who uh oh. really dives into this stuff and uh you might enjoy listening back to some of the thoughts he had on, on sterling and yon because it's the most recent um, high-level championship fight where there were some rounds in question. Uh, we spent a lot of time on that. Um, but did well, you well, well, keep me in, don't keep me in suspense. Which you got to watch go? the podcast, right? Yeah, no, even after talking to him, I still, I still say 10, eight for round two. I hope he doesn't yeah. listen to the whole show, but he, he sort of outlined why you're not going to like this, Ray. But basically yeah. over the last six months, there has been sort of an initiative for change when it comes to 10, eight rounds okay. that is not affected in the actual language of the scoring. So when you have this thesis statement about this kangaroo court, I mean, that's, 
you know, it's, you've never been more accurate. I mean, there's oh. actually conversations going on that affect scoring change that the masses aren't privy to. I don't even know well, what to say. I got to tell you, man, I, and I'm not because I think, um, you know, I think Big John, I, I, I thought he was fine with the Aljo thing. I even told that to Aljo, and then he kind of came back and said he'll never watch a fight with his friends again, you know, like because that round was very close. But then he went on to something with the rules of the 10-8, but the secretary didn't type him in. And that, that I got to go back and listen to that. Man. Huh. It was it was so crazy to I don't even know I don't I'm not I'm not looking to start anything I'm just saying but it was definitely said he called the president he doesn't give us the guy's name I don't know who the hell he's talking about but the guy told him the the secret I think wait and John if I'm wrong just you're probably not wrong I got to go back and listen again but only because you brought this up with the kangaroo court yeah but the secretary didn't type in the right rules like I'm like oh government is is really is, is he saying is this what he's saying like it is bizarre to me. Bizarre. So that's insane. Well, I would think the secretary got fired and the whole th- nothing zero. I don't think, but I could I could be wrong on that. But I got to go back and listen. But it was something where the door gate my homework. It was that's what it sounded like to me. You know what happened to your no the door gated. You know <laughs> yeah, yeah. the secretary forgot to type it in. Therefore, everybody's right. Those really were the rules, and I don't know, whatever. You're never, you're never getting to the bottom of this. You're, Nothing makes sense. Like again, Kenny. Like again, the only job in the world. I think you'd have to kill somebody. You're still not going to get reprimanded, <laughs> fired, nothing. Uh, it just, yeah. It that's a that's a job for life. You know. I'm yep. so frustrated because as I sit here with the Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sports Unified Rules of Mixed Martial Arts, it's missing a fucking page with the 10-8 language. I keep going back to it. That's why yeah, I'm all well, there you go. Yeah, that, that's a few it. other things I want to get to with the great Raymond Peter Longo, as distracted as I am by that glorious lettuce up top. And not a fucking white head in your hair, plus 60. It's amazing. Um, no, no, no. no there's, 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 there's a lot of grays in there. Try, I, trust me. You color it? <laughs> No, well, come get the hell out of here. <laughs> color, I don't, color, I don't even call me. You look at what, what do you think you're looking at? You think I'm sitting there coloring? I I would have got pasted a nice it auburn down. hair. You know, no, no I do. Auburn. I do snip them out if I see them, though. Yeah. Halfway. Right. I cut them halfway out. So I don't know if you watched the UFC or the PFL or any of the uh, mixed martial arts that was out there over the weekend. Did any of those performances jump off the screen to you? Uh, Andrade, you see Jessica Andrade. Andrade was phenomenal. I, I really, I thought Lamos was going to win that fight. Believe it or not, I thought she had the power in her hands. I love her boxing. Yeah. Uh, but it just never even got started, and she got caught in a little scramble, and that was it, man. It was over. So, uh, good for Andrade dropping back down to one fifteen, and you know she's she's a beast either way. I mean, you know she's just she's a she's a handful. So, congrats yeah, to her. Sort of disappointing the way that Shevchenko fight went for her because it has really been a great run for her otherwise. Um, So Henry Cejudo seems to be back in the mix. That was also on my list for you today. It looks like he met with Sean Shelby and Hunter Campbell. Seems as though Aljamain Sterling does have an appetite for that fight. Um, Do you know anything about like Dillashaw's relative health and how soon like Aljamain could get back in there? No, I, I honestly know absolutely nothing except what I'm people are showing me and telling me and I'm reading. Um, I did hear about the Cejudo thing. Uh, hey, look, either he's going to fight anybody. It doesn't even matter. It right. really doesn't matter. He's he's the champ and he's going to defend his title, but he's going to take a couple of months off for sure. 
Right. That that I know. He's not yeah. going back in there in two months. I mean, that yeah. was a long year for him, and oh, of I course. think he I think he deserves a couple of months off. No, there's no doubt. And I think whether it's Cejudo or Dillashaw uh, or maybe Jose Aldo has an outside chance there, although I would still like to see them do Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz. But it's not going to be Piotr Jan, um, despite what some people uh, are hopeful for. Um, I mean, the, the question is, who's Marab fighting, too? Because I, I, he's no, – yeah, I'm no, telling you. No nobody news even, on that, Ray. Nobody even mentions his name. I think Dominic Cruz was a possibility for that. Mm. That's what I heard because everybody else was booked. I'm going to see Dom this weekend, so I'll be able to maybe pick his brand a little bit or not, yeah. just depending on uh, which cruise he shows up. You know, he might yeah. give me nothing. Um, no, you know what so- you do when you when you just if you really put him in a good spot, just ask him how uh, Keith Peterson is doing when you see him <laughs> yeah. and then, then, then proceed from there. It was <laughs> funny. I was running with my twin brother in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. and We saw Keith Peterson. He's like. Should tell Dom he, he does smell like cigarettes, but he doesn't smell like doesn't smell like alcohol. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, I think Cruz and Marab rankings wise makes a whole lot of sense, and that would, you know, Dom wants to fight somebody ranked above him, and Marab would qualify. So, you know, I think for Dom, it's like he wants three rounds, and I'm not necessarily trying to put words in his mouth, but I think three rounds co-main event on a pay-per-view or even a featured prelim makes more sense than a five-round main event against Marab, you know. Why is that? Let's go five. You're a guy. I think Marab deserves a five-round fight. I agree, but Team Cruz don't need no five-round fight against Marab Dwalish. We'll take a three-round fight on pay-per-view. I mean, Dominic doesn't need the main event shine at this stage of his career. He's the consensus greatest man weight of all time, you know? Maybe we'll just do a – maybe we'll do like a tough man thing. We'll just make it a one-round fight. (laughs) go crazy. Oh, I love that first that I don't Kenny that <laughs> ten minute pry that w- round <laughs> that one, one day, right? Oh, by no. what other fights? I thought uh, Rafael Stotts looked really good. I did uh, not see that, but I'm happy for him because he's been at this a long time. And the other kid, Patchy Mix, looked good. I saw uh, those fights and the PFL. Man, I who, just give me refresh me. They had some good fights. How dare too. you? Clay, yeah. Clay Collar, oh, yes, Jeremy, yes, Clay Collar, Jeremy oh, Stevens. Oh, oh, oh there you go. I mean, that was come a good on. fight. This guy, right? that's a that's a great fight. That's yeah. a, thank thank you, Kenny, for that. that. Wild. My my <laughs> brain we left the show dry. with the PFL today, right? I'll by tell the you, way. that kid Collar, he himself. could fight, man. He could yeah. box oh, yeah. and, he, and he could take a he punch. Really Holy shit! Crazy. He is crazy. That guy, but I I I love watching him fight. I thought Stevens was going to win that fight too. You know, I mean, before the fight, he was he tried to. Yeah, you know, because that's the thing, you know, with Jeremy, he's been around for so long and you never know. He's going to a new organization. Is this, you know, is he doing it for a paycheck? Does he really want to fight? No, he really no, wanted they to fought. win that fight. No, I they mean, fought. That yeah, was, that was that was no paycheck fight. No, they fought, man. That's I'm thank you for bringing that up. I thought that yeah. fight was probably the best fight over the weekend for sure. Yeah. You would have lost some money. It sounds like this weekend. Yeah, it was, I, I got to I got to start calling this guy Petrie. I'm telling you, <laughs> right? Telling Dude, you. That guy just, he he just damps me up, that guy. Oh, he's the best. I said off the top of the show that, like, Clay Collard has become appointment viewing for me. There are a few fighters outside the UFC that I will go out of my way to watch. And, you know, some people wonder why I'm not watching every single MMA show. And I guess it's because I have three kids and see events to call. Right. But Clay Collard, Kayla Harrison, like, appointment viewing for me, to be sure, as well as some other fighters for one and other promotions. So um, good stuff. All right, before we let you go, Steve Lee, pro debut. Like, when is this happening? Oh. Can I attend? I'll pay for my own ticket if need be. I want to be there for his pro <laughs> debut. Really? Let's go, Steve. Yeah. May, I, 20th. No, this is- May 20th, Atlantic City. 
Is it really? Yeah, it's like a it's like a forty five minute plane ride for you. I will be in Las Vegas, so unfortunately, uh, I will only see. be there. So I think you, that's exciting. See, I think you knew that before you even asked the question. <laughs> so I think you had this whole planned out. So no. now, no, no, no. I'd love to get yet one of those Ring of Combats. Come on, you'd be a big, big shot there. Yeah, you get I'm treated sure like royalty. I kidding? would love to come to a Ring of Combat event. Hey, you know what? Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead, go, go. No, 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 I, was no, just, no. I was just thinking of, do you guys remember Max Kellerman when he was first coming up in boxing? It was, you guys might not even have been born, man. I think, it was, I'm going to yeah. say he was around in the 80s, but this is who this kid reminds me of. Kellerman was a juggernaut at the beginning with his boxing, the analysis, and he came out of nowhere. A hundred percent reminds me of this guy. They got that infectious vibe of just, it's so fluid when he's talking. Like I, I don't know if how how much he's planning for this, but it seems like he's just off the top of his head. Is like his impromptu speaking is is off it. the charts, man. No, his yeah, kid's good, man. Show. Yeah, no, you that's know? interesting. I thought you were talking about Max Kellerman doing a no, hip hop. No, 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 no. But back in the <laughs> no, no Kellerman back in the day was he had yeah. that same type of energy, man. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, where yeah. did he come from? And but he he nailed it. He was. He he ended up going on and obviously doing big things. So yeah. I right, see well, the same thing. Of, uh, speaking of nailed it, you fucking nailed it today as usual. Right? That is so, what I do today. Uh, wait, how come? Wait, why why is it today though? So Just Ken Flo um, had a a specialized training obligation yesterday in South Carolina. If you really a want specialized to specialized what? Guns and you know in, in camouflage no, gear. See, because my I, wife was like, "You need to go do that." You know, because I, <laughs> I don't want to say you know like. The ABC is a kangaroo court, and we just jumping all over the place with our dates. You know, I want to hold to like uh, so people have faith in this. I, you know, how many right. you know how many tweets I got this morning. Where's the show on my right. date? You know, see, we yeah, are committed no. to Sundays going forward. Ken Flo is a priority. He had a conflict, so I don't know what to tell. My bad. You know, it's my but rest assured, I'm flying a red eye after Marlon Vera and Rob Font this weekend, and we'll be back on the screws this Sunday with our UFC uh, 74. That's players. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, before I'm, I let you go, yeah, go, ahead. go, 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 go. Rob Font, Cheeto Vera. This is a huge fight at 135 pounds. I want to know who you think wins it. Uh, I love Rob Font in that whole camp, but I think Cheeto just got the mindset and the will. There's a five rounder. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think Cheeto gets it done. I think he's, uh, I think he's a problem. I think he's a major problem. And again, I think it's, I'm just going mindset. I'm not even going oh, sure. technique at this point, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's got the momentum, and I'm gonna. I, I would say I go with uh, Cheeto. Not not even getting any technical thing about Very it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. A lot of Cheeto Vera love on the program today. We'll see where that betting line closes. Uh, yeah, I if, think he's got a he's got an edge to him that I think. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think he feels like he's getting any respect, and he he is good, and he gets better and better and better. And uh, uh, Rob Font is good though, man. I I I like those guys, but I think uh, the more diverse guy is Cheeto. And I think his head's in the right spot, and that's what I'm going with. It's a fucking great main event. It's yours on ESPN yeah. Plus early start time this weekend. You can find more from Ray Longo on social media at Ray Longo MMA and Minutemen. Minutemen, be heard from. Let Ray know how much you love him uh, and how you fast forward to the Ray Longo Minute and don't listen to let the rest of the podcast because it makes him feel pretty good. We got to go. Love you. All right. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, right. Take care. <laughs> He's just not feeling my vibe today. <laughs> hated the Tatum story. You know? I thought it was kind of funny. Hated the Whatever. what story?
Tatum. I thought it was kind of funny that my daughter's like, you have a clean face. And my wife's like, no, honey, he can't because he doesn't look really very good when he shaves his (laughs) face. Technically, (laughs) there's times when your wife is embarrassed to even bring you around, basically. Uh, Yeah, when I shave. John, if it makes you feel better, I'm in the same boat with Clark. See? Never shave your face (laughs) ever again. Cover up your face, guys. Cover up your face. Wow. Hey. I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. <laughs> love you. We'll Take see it you. Love you guys. Day, Take, Take it easy, guys. There Bye. he is. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And, of course, we close out the show with our producer in the marrow seconds. I am going to go plug in my computer because it's diet. So just give me a minute. I'm going to stay on the cans. I just got to plug in my fucking computer. <laughs> Audio people aren't going to notice this. If you're on the video side, this is a little off-putting. What of it? Uh, Cody, how are you, bro? Good. Just filling time here. Filling airspace, you know? So what do you Just got wait. for the marrow Just seconds wait. today? Uh, well, so I was going to say, like, are you now retroactively saying you named Tatum after Jason Tatum? I mean, he's only 19, I'm right? Like, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I'm not because our beloved former makeup artist, Susie Freetown, actually named Tatum. So we have a special story oh, wow. already. But I have bought a lot of Celtics gear for her that says, you know, Tatum with his number zero on. So it's a good question, buddy. Well, rest in peace, Suze. Always thinking of you. Thanks, buddy. What else you got? Uh, so number one, UFC staging an eight-man tourney across four weight classes to go down in Asia while you guys are over there in Singapore. Uh, it's specifically for Asian talent called The Road to the UFC. So there's going to be some extra fight content there on ESPN Plus for all you guys. It, are you calling those shows, John? Is there anything you can reveal about that? No, I know this was supposed to happen a long time ago, but COVID-19 intervened. I don't believe I will be calling those fights, but... uh. I don't have much for you. I don't have my flight to Singapore yet as we sit here April 25th. So should be coming down this week or next, hopefully. Well, let's hope that the 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 bar has been raised a little bit. The Asian talent's been a little – I mean, COVID obviously had a, a part of that. But, like, the the talent coming out of China since, like, 2020 has not been the greatest. So hopefully it uh, adds to that. But Orichi Lang, Orichi Long was impressive last weekend. Yeah, and we got a Chinese fighter, uh, Tatsuro Taira who uh, I believe is making his UFC debut this weekend as well. So, Well, if you need any help, ask Ninja. Actually, he's Japanese. He's Japanese. So. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, that well. sounds like a Japanese name. <laughs> uh, so number two, just a couple notes on Fury and Ngannou. Uh, was Fury's walkout the best of all time? Did you guys catch that? I missed it. It was incredible. 95,000 people in Wembley. I mean, the guy took 20 minutes to walk out, but he's a showman. I mean – there's no more confident fighter walking to a ring than Tyson Fury. So yeah. if, if you can catch that, I would definitely go back. I think it's the best walkout of all time. Is this a real possibility, Ngannou and Fury? So that's what I was going to say. Ngannou came into the ring. He was sitting courtside with his agent. And he and Fury were talking about doing a crossover fight in 2023 with a uh, boxing MMA fight gloves. with MMA gloves. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I think that does increase Ngannou's chances, does it not? I mean – and Ganu is one of those one punch power guys. Anything can happen. But I mean, Fury, you're talking about possibly the greatest boxer of all time. So uh, the odds did come out. Do you guys want to venture a guess at what those odds are? Are these odds for any glove size that we're dealing with? So and, it's and, for a mixed rules boxing fight. I'd yeah, say I mean, four to one, four to one for Fury. I'd say it's he's still, they're still throwing hands. Yeah, they're still throwing hands at the end of the day. What do you got? I would say Fury like. Minus nine hundred or something. So Fury is minus fifteen hundred. Yeah, and Ganu plus seven fifty. So not really much value. We'll have to ask BP if he sees any value there in Ganu. But the most interesting thing from the post-fight talk between the two of them was that they're sitting there talking about doing a mixed rules fight, and then Fury's like, 
I mean, you're a good looking guy. Like you got a big dick on you or what? And then Ngannou was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, and Fury's like trying to grab at him, like neg him a little bit. So he's already starting with the head games. There. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to good. make Ngannou That's feel comfortable. Wow. which look, Hey, I am lying on the, the straight side of the arrow here, but like everyone has seen the, the dick imprint that Ngannou has. So like, you know, when you fight Francis Ngannou, you're fighting Francis and Francis Jr. You're not just fighting yeah. Francis. Thank you for that. That's why nobody yeah. goes for a takedown on Francis. Oh, you, my goodness. Go in yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I'm just so glad that uh, we had you to give us that. Yeah, because I can say that. Because I yeah. can. You can. Um, my eyes you are can. up here, Chong. Um, Number three, the anti-Anik fade parlay. So I was going in the DraftKings Sportsbook, and I was looking at it. For the Celtics to win the East, the Blue Jays to beat the Red Sox in their next series, because as we know, the Red Sox are playing like garbage, and Rob Font to win plus 808 on DK Sportsbook. Hmm. I kind of like that. You know, I'm not the capper here, but I kind of like it. Yeah, that's pretty juicy. All right. Good stuff from Cody Merrow on the way out. I like Francis Ngannou with that shaved head, by the way, of course. Um, all right. If you want any of Ken Flo's jujitsu stuff, KennyFlorianMartialArts.com. Fundamentally, that's as good as you will find on the internet um podcast.com for merchandise we also have uh some limited edition phoenix arizona designs of the one more sleep merch you can find that at millions.co thank you all for the support don't forget remember the show with Bilal muhammad and jason anik on this very channel coming up thursday if you missed last week's show sort of a celebration for those guys after Bilal's win over vicente luque you can check that out as well thank you to our guests sean sheehan bringing it off the top of the show ray longo brian petrie our producer is Cody Merrow for our intern, Will Berger, as well. Thank you all for watching, for listening. We will be back with you Sunday, May 1st, full preview of UFC 274 coming up May 7th in Phoenix, Arizona. With that, for Ken Flum, John Anik, thank you all so much for supporting the program. We'll talk to you in about six days. Until then, yo fucking later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.